KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show as we're wrapping up the month of December the 27th already. Bob, good to have you along. Hope you had some uh, uh, Merry Christmas. And very Merry Christmas. Uh, nice to have those temperatures moderating <laughs> just a little bit, I would say. Yeah, finally. <laughs> finally. <laughs> that was quite a quite a, a cold spell, windy spell, without a doubt. Kind of a piqued my interest. You know, we talked a little bit last couple of weeks about the fact that if you know, we typically will get a range of snowfall in this area. Now we know we've got a lot of listeners on the South Shore Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. They get more of this. They, they say, oh, they're just kids play. But we'll get 80, maybe 85, 90 inches of snow a year. It can come earlier. It can come late. But we kind of revert to what we call the mean. We come back to these averages. So we have a choice getting it early or getting it late. And, again, the nice thing, if we had open ground uh, and these extremely cold temperatures, we drive this frost in, and then we get all that snow in March or something like that, then um, there's this frozen ground, and so much of this water runs off, so we have a flooding problem. We also don't have any nutrient accumulation. We get it early like this where there was very little frost in the ground, and even if there's an inch or so, oftentimes under a blanket of snow like this, that uh, evaporates, goes away, and a lot of this snow, when we get the snow melt in the spring, we, we absorb all that moisture, so not only we get the moisture in the ground where we want it to get off to a good growing season, we also do carry a little bit of uh, nitrogen into the ground with that, but if you just run that all off, uh, then of course it's all wasted and can lead to all kinds of other problems and difficulties. So I guess, I keep reminding myself, you know, that there's there's always a uh, silver lining to most things if you look hard enough for it. Right, Dave? There you go. 43.1 inches of snow in December. Uh, that's second all time. Wow. I wanted to hear that number because I know you keep track of some of those things. <laughs> and uh, I know that one storm where I am, I had about 35 inches. That wow. was enough for me, I'll tell yeah. you. So uh, anyway, uh, it, it's been very, very interesting. But we have a nice blanket. Mm-hmm. Of snow out there. It's a good insulating bike. We talked a little bit about that snow being one of the best insulators, better than straw, hay, or anything else that you might put on your tender perennials or your the flower buds and your strawberry plants. So this is all good, and we can expect a good snow melt. And hopefully, uh, maybe get a little break, and we don't have a lot of snow in in April or early May like we did last year, Dave. We can only hope that this doesn't continue all winter. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, I'll tell you, we had uh, those winds and kudos <laughs> out. I've got uh, multiple, many friends that work yeah. with our power companies in the area, and uh, they did a nice job for us. Uh, yeah, we were without juice for a little while there, mm-hmm. but they kept the lights out or got them on fairly quickly. So kudos to all those people who are out there working hard to keep things going. So we Yeah, got that absolutely. And that kind of weather, too, especially, I, I don't uh, envy them at all. No, no, they kind of, uh, there's that old Northland vigor uh, yeah. there, the Sisu, uh, I guess is the Finnish term, uh, getting out there and just doing what needs to be done. All right. You know, I was kind of intrigued because we always talk about winter hardiness. I had this question asked, is it going to damage a lot of the trees? Well, we had a lot of uh, actually limbs and, and other material was brought down to the ground with these mm-hmm. high winds. Uh, you know, wind we don't really like because it tends to really desiccate. I'm thinking now about our evergreen trees, which kind of interesting you know they are obviously well adapted they've been around for thousands of years they're well adapted to our winter conditions you know it's kind of interesting anything that's green does continue to live and to grow and to photosynthesize in other words uh, there's still some little activity going on in these trees although it's very very reduced of course at this time low light cold temperatures but they have got special mechanisms for 
protecting them. And sometimes we'll see all of this winter injury, a lot of what we call winter browning. We'll see it on uh, many varieties of evergreens, but in particular, I think of our cedar or our arborvitae, uh, they oftentimes will brown out. In many cases, it's not the end of the world. They grow out of it with the new growth, and they're well adapted to this. Sometimes we get a real severe uh, winter with the winter winds, and that's the one thing that did concern me a little bit about this cold spell. It came with a lot of wind. That tends to be very, very drying, and we tend to, uh, the term is, we use it, we, you know, a lot of these plants, the evergreens in particular, have got kind of an ice layer that protects them right around those those cells, and then with these winds and the driving wind, we we tend to remove all of that material, and the cell tissue is, is exposed, so we go uh, we actually vaporize a lot of these ice crystals that have formed. It's a very, very complex uh, science. I I wanted to take a little look and, uh, you know, if we come any farther along, because there's a lot of research that's been done on winter hardiness, we'd love to have some kind of material that we could uh, spray on the trees or maybe we could do a little bit of selection hybridization for uh, materials that are a little bit hardier. We're going through, obviously, some climate change without a doubt, and uh, we are seeing the one thing that's a little bit disturbing is we're seeing, typically we'll see warming conditions. What we ideally would like would be a real nice slow cool down in the fall where everything gets a chance to adjust and then we get things uh, uh, cold and we go into this state of suspended animation where everything's just going to sit there through the winter months, sit there through January and February. And then when uh, we break out and temperatures are warmer in the spring, they remain warmer. But what we've had, of course, is we've had warming spells. we got one coming this week, and no one's going to complain about that. And low 30s is okay. Mm-hmm. 40s we really don't like after this type of extremely cold temperatures because we can break some of this dormancy. So the one of the hardest things on plants is these irregular uh, temperatures where suddenly we get warm days, 40 degrees in the middle of January, and then they break some of this dormancy, and then they can't really readjust. So that's where I think we get an awful lot of the damage. One thing we know, extreme temperatures. Now, we had cold temperatures, but we didn't have, you know, what did we have, 15, 16 below, perhaps? Yeah, yeah we didn't have that 30 below or the mm-hmm. 35 below that can be really damaging. But we did have a lot of uh, what we call desiccating winds. In other words, these winds that came out of the northwest, and uh, and they can do a fair amount of damage again uh removing some of the protection that these plants have so had the question what's this going to do to to our evergreens and so forth we're just going to have to wait and see we're just getting started with this winter but i did take a look at the science and and they're looking like crazy and they've all they've discovered on on some of the components of winter hardiness for the most part is it's far more complex than they ever really realized so uh they're looking for it there's been a lot of research done there would be tremendous benefits if we could get hardier winter materials particularly for those of us in the north but of course this cold spell went all the way down into uh even into florida i understand People at vacation down there, Dave, expecting 75 and 80 degrees. I think they were in for a little bit of a rude awakening. But nonetheless, because it was cold, a lot of frost down in uh, the southern part of the United States. So this winter hardiness element is is important, not just to us this far north, but throughout the country. And uh, that's why there's a lot of research been done. But no, no major breakthroughs that I could find. They're still digging and looking at the genetics, looking at so many different components. And uh, it's far more complex than they ever realized, Dave. I am very impressed with the flexibility of evergreen boughs and branches because of that heavy wet snow we had originally. Uh, some of those things were down to the ground. 
Oh, absolutely, and uh, and there were, they, and of course we lost a few. I suppose. I, yeah. I think once again our power coming. One of the difficulties <laughs> they had was with trees coming out. My own situation. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of them that just the weight took balsams down. You ah. know, they were healthy trees or appeared to be healthy. They were lush and green, and yet uh, that weight just took them down. And mm. I got two chainsaws. I told the story. I didn't get the old gas out of them, so I uh, <laughs> couldn't start either one. So oh, I no. an a- axe and a bow saw trying to clear things up. And, boy, that that's worked. I guess that's what keeps us going during the winter months. Mm. Uh, always a challenge out there, right, Dave? Absolutely. Well, we'll take a break, Bob, and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. Good morning. Well, Bob, Christmas is over, and folks are starting to uh, recycle their trees already. The tree cycling program from the WLSSD is already underway. And uh, I guess through the 10th of January, you can drop off your uh, Christmas trees at the Chester Bowl, also Lester Park, Duluth Heights Community Club, Woodland Community Club, the Rose Garden Parking Lot, and the City of Duluth Tool House on Commonwealth Avenue. But make sure all the tinsel and uh, decorations are off the tree before you drop them off. Uh, Dave, I'm so glad you pulled that information up because, uh, you know, we get some concern from people. They don't mm-hmm. want to use a natural tree. They're afraid they're cutting some. Well, they're, <laughs> they're grown as a crop, of course, yeah. a long rotation crop, 10, 12 years instead of one or two seasons. But nonetheless, uh, you can feel real good. You drop it off at a good site, and our good friends at the, the Western Lake Superior Sanitary District uh, will get that recycled. That mm-hmm. goes into their Garden Green uh, compost product. So there's full cycle. It's going to come back, going to go back down into the earth. And in the meantime, it uh, it does provide some real uh, wonderful uh, holiday joy for us. But, mm-hmm. you know, Dave, they're not getting my tree for a while. <laughs> That's right. You keep yours uh, <laughs> up until March usually, right? <laughs> Uh, it becomes my indoor houseplant. Yeah. I, lo- I love a fresh tree, and I try to keep them fresh, and I really do enjoy it. You know, the tinsel, the ornaments are going to come off right, right about New Year's, but uh, everything else stays on for a while, oh, and it goes cool. outside. Goes outside with a string of popcorn for the birds, and mm-hmm. uh, we kind of enjoy it as long as we possibly can. Fantastic! That's the way to do. It. Well, the days are getting longer, supposedly. Uh, we yes. have now passed the shortest day of the year. 7.53 for sunup, 4.27 for sundown. It's about the same day after day, but uh, eventually it's going to get longer. Yeah, what are we getting? A few seconds a day? Yeah, now? not much. <laughs> we get a little psychological lift from this. Every time I get past the 21st of December, the winter solstice, uh, I feel a little better psychologically knowing that we're we're over the hump and we're on our way to uh, towards springtime, Dave. But it's very slow at first, isn't it? Yeah, and meanwhile, uh, obviously the plants indoors are not getting the light they need, I guess, so they're kind of, what, uh, turning dormant this time of year. Well, Yanni, you know, I use this term, and it's probably not the correct scientific term, but they're kind of like in a state of suspended animation. They're all still alive. Uh, they're not doing a lot of growth because green plants are driven certainly by sunlight, and the more sunlight, uh, the better. So that mechanism, as the days get longer, will be triggered. So we're going to get new growth probably starting late January, early February, and it's at that time uh, that you want to think a little bit about uh, a little bit more moisture, uh, maybe some uh, fertility, but not right now. Right now, we just want to back off a little bit and uh, do what we can to to keep them happy in this indoor environment. You know, there is no such thing as a house plant. They all came from the outside at one time or another, and we bring them in, and some some do better than others, certainly in our homes. Uh, those that tend to, tend to do the best, the green plants, are those that tolerate very, very low light. But, you know, Dave, uh, there are a couple things that we really can do. And um, 
One is, I mentioned the light situation. Uh, you know, if you've got northern exposures, that's where there's the least light. Uh, some plants, if you just shift them to the east, the west, the south, if you've got other rooms or other windows with those exposures, uh, they can really benefit from a little bit of that additional light, uh, not just now, but as the days get longer as well. So those are really the, the primary uh, exposures, those south exposures, that sun, and you can look up its even at noon, it's really in our southern horizon. But what people don't realize is uh, even when we get get into our summer months, because we're so far north, that sun is still in the southern horizon. So if you really have a plant that really requires a lot of good light, we'll shift to the south and then maybe into the east, which is a, uh, a second best location. West, third, we get a little heat, a little more heat generation out of the west windows, particularly when we come into late spring and summer. So we have to be a little cautious there. And then, of course, we have the north, but that doesn't mean that you can't uh, grow many of these plants out in the north window, particularly if you're not looking for a lot of new lush green growth. So we've got a lot of uh, indoor house plants that really tolerate uh, low light conditions real well, and that's one of the real criteria for a good indoor green plant. The other thing we can do to help out just a little bit is if we could increase the relative humidities. Now, at least as I understand it, and I looked it up a while ago, I believe on Wikipedia, well, you take a guess at what the average relative humidity in uh, the Sahara Desert is, the relative humidity now. I am, what, 20% or less? Oh, you're pretty close. It's about 25%. All right. So let's say we got a forest air home. We're not doing yeah. anything at all to, to humidify <laughs> at all in this location. We're talk, not talking about kitchen and baths, so there's no additional water. Mm. Temperatures in, in a typical northern Minnesota or Wisconsin home, what do you think the relative humidities can drop to? I, that I'm not sure of, but I would guess maybe 25%. Yeah, a little, a little <laughs> lower than that, actually, about 15%. Wow. So, particularly if we've got forced air heat and so forth. So, well, the cactuses would be growing great. <laughs> the cactuses are, tolerate that just real well. So <laughs> we might consider uh, trying to get a little more moisture out, yeah. out into the air. Uh, now you, there's a limit, of course, because we got windows, and even with double uh, mm-hmm. double pane glass, uh, we act, actually we get too much humidity. We cumu- accumulate moisture, and it can either freeze or frost up, or we get moisture accumulating, and so we don't want to do that. But if we could get our relative humidities a little higher in the 30, 40 percent range, and that really isn't too difficult to do. We've got humidifiers. Right. Uh, you can do various things like uh, set out. You could try spritzing. That was real. Uh, popular for a while there where you would take a hand canister of water with what we call an atomizer and uh, just a spray system and spritz all the plants well that evaporates so so fast that oh. it really doesn't have much impact on on changing the relative humidity in the room one thing you can do you can group plants because they transpire so group these plants together and then and then maybe at the base put in what we call some pebble trays uh these would be uh, shallow trays with water and marbles or uh, smooth stone in there so we get more surface area to evaporate so we try to create a little mini environment for these plants and then as they transpire and water leaves through their leaf system, uh, they kind of share it with each other. So there are a number of things you can do. And, of course, you can have a vaporizer or a humidifier, and that's kind of the ultimate solution. But, again, you've got to be a little careful. You really you want to shoot for 40 or 50% relative humidity rather than 60 or 70 or 80 where you, when it's real cold and we've got cold window surfaces. We, of course, have that 
of that moisture that tends to uh, to collect there. So, but there are a couple things you can do. Uh, your plants are going to be a little bit happier if you increase the humidity, and you can do that now even under low light conditions. We're going to back off from overwatering. I think more plants are perhaps. Uh, killed with overwatering and root rot than anything else particularly this time of year so we want to be a little careful uh, don't overwater stick your finger down there if you don't have any kind of a moisture meter and make sure that uh, it's good and dry down to about an inch and a half and then you can come in and you can water uh, thoroughly maybe once now every week 10 days again it depends on the relative humidity in the house but we don't want to overwater we really don't want any fertilizer of any type this time of year until we get into the uh, the time and you you track that so you know if we suddenly break through this period of low light and we start to accumulate uh, daylight very very quickly so when, when that process begins the plants respond they kick out new growth this is a time when you're going to add a little fertility you're going to be uh, if you want to take cuttings if you want to propagate your plants they all respond to this process of the expanding uh, daylight. So all those kinds of activities we can reserve for probably late January and into February. When we come into February, then we start really thinking about some of these things. We've still got a little winter ahead of us, so that's the time we can really focus on a lot of our house spots. But do what you can now. Get them a little more light. You might want to dust them a little bit. You might want to clean inside of your windows so we get a little bit more light that comes in, pull the shades <laughs> up early. So there are a few little things we can do to try to get a little bit more light to our house plants uh, this time of year, Dave. You can always ask the plant, too, if they're happy or not. Well, you can do that, and you yeah. can kind well, of tell when not there's sure an the plant and when there's an unhappy plant. <laughs> okay. uh, they don't look very great when they're unhappy, that's for sure. All right, we'll take another break and be right back. 9.37, The Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And we're back for the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday. Bob talking about uh, humidity for plants. Are there still terrariums where they have kind of a self-enclosed climate going on? Oh, absolutely. You know, kind it's, of kind of, it's kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of these indoor garden trends, uh, they tend to be trendy. Yeah. Uh, they were very fashionable at one time. Mm-hmm. and. Kind of glad you mentioned that. Great activity if you want to try to try yeah. to establish some uh, terrariums. Great to do with the kids if you have that opportunity. Uh, and, uh, you know, they are very, very fashionable and, and popular. And the nice thing about a glass globe like that is you do have kind of a, a mini environment there where you actually are increasing the humidity within right. that within that sphere. So there are some real definite advantages. You know, Dave, I want to touch real quickly. If people that did get holiday plants, we talked a little bit about that, right. gifting holiday, plant, uh, holiday plants. A lot of poinsettias go out, of course, amaryllis and uh, Christmas cactus, Thanksgiving cactus. They're all great, great uh, items. So many of these come out with beautiful foil wrappers. We've talked about this in the past, but uh, make sure that you've got good drainage underneath there because I mentioned the, the risk of overwatering. Mm-hmm. So many of these plants, they're grown in plastic containers, they're grown in very light peat-based mixes. There's no mineral soil in there. So the water tends to run through very quickly, and that's not a bad growing environment as long as you're managing your nutrients, and they're doing this where they're produced typically in the greenhouses right now. And uh, uh, they're wrapped in a beautiful foil wrap. In most cases, you've got a plastic pot for a lot of reasons, inexpensive and lighter to ship. But uh they typically the pot will have holes in the bottom but they've got this foil wrap around them and so if you don't puncture holes in that foil wrap uh then you're going to accumulate moisture so you're watering weekly or every 10 days and yet you're never getting rid of that water Mm. down through the bottom so you get this inch or two of water in the bottom 
uh, those roots sit in the water and they t- they tend to rot off. So if you received a gift or if you're giving one of these holiday gifts, if there's foil around that pot, uh, actually, if you're going to give it, puncture it before you give it to people because wow. uh, they may not want to do this, but that's something that you'll want to do just so when they water, uh, that water runs through. Then we get a nice combination. Ideally, roots would like about 50% oxygen, 50% moisture at all times. If you could hit that, that would be ideal. But they don't want the 80 or 90% water. That leads to rot and a lot of uh, a lot of problems with house plants. So open them up, let them drain, water infrequently, but continue to water, and then uh, no fertility until we get into uh, maybe uh, late January, early February. I just take the foil off. Not nearly as pretty, but it does the trick. <laughs> that that's one thing you yeah. can do. Not nearly as pretty, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> it is nice and. You know, we talk about the poinsettia and the fact that they are so durable now. There was a time not too many years ago when you got a poinsettia or you purchased one uh, at Christmas time toward the end of December, and by the time you hit New Year's, uh, those beautiful, colorful uh, bracts, which are modified leaves, they'd fall off, and you just threw the plant out started again the next year. Now we've got a situation, and one of the things that the the breeders have done in this country and actually uh, and we've got the Etke family out in California to thank for this because now the poinsettia is a uh, uh, certainly a holiday plant that spread throughout the world as a matter of fact the Europeans are the biggest producers and distributors uh, the Dutch right now at this particular time but all the work was done again here by the Etke family out in California and one of the things they did first they made them more compact the poinsettia, obviously, which is native to Mexico, then came into Southern California, a big shrubby bush. And if you've been in that part of the country, you can see them growing in the landscape. Well, they figured out uh, how to hybridize it, how to bring them down and make them really potted plants. So uh, that was one of the, that was the first thing they did. And then they uh, were able to market it and promote it as a holiday plant. Uh, they figured out exactly how to turn those green leaves into uh, red leaves. And then they did a lot of breeding work on getting reds and pinks and whites and and a lot of variation a lot of striation so a lot of variability there but the other thing that they did with their breeding efforts was to make a very durable plant so you may have a poinsettia right now that looks beautiful and you can actually keep that going and again if you don't overwater and if you manage the light a little bit and you can move it outside they love our warmer conditions once the risk of frost is passed and you can keep those growing uh, for several years, really, and they're they're kind of fun that way. So they're they're very durable. They're a plant again that just keeps right on giving for a number of months at a minimum. And this has been one of the uh, the real big innovations. And we again we got to thank the Etkes that started it all off in uh, Southern California. And and there's actually been quite a bit of breeding work done at the University of Texas and other places since that time. But they kicked it off and. Uh, and it spread from here throughout the world, at least in the northern hemisphere, probably the southern hemisphere. And at this particular time, I think the biggest producers and distributors are out of uh, the, Net- the Netherlands. But again, it was wow. an American uh, innovation, and all the work was done here uh, by the Etke family initially in California. All right, Bob, we got a phone call this morning. Hi, who's this? Uh, this is Diane. Go ahead, Diane. Good hey. morning, Diane. Hi. I have a question about wintering a, a plant yeah I, I after i listen to you i'm i'm guessing it depends a lot on the light available doesn't it are, are, are you, you familiar are you familiar with a plant called candy corn a vine mm, candy corn is that a common name uh, yeah yeah it probably is anyway the greenhouses have it in the spring and okay. mine was especially beautiful this summer 
and I thought it would be fun to try to winter it. Oh, but, okay. Um, and and so it it <laughs> I repotted and it's growing green leaves, but now the tips are turning black. And usually, to me, that's a sign I'm overwatering it. But and maybe it's just something I, I it can't get enough light in the winter, and it's impossible to winter it. Yeah, some of these plants, uh, when we try to bring them in, if they were really bred and selected for outside, they have they have some difficulty. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not. Uh, I'm a little concerned about uh, black tissue out on the tips, the far end of the plants. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you do want to be careful. We don't want too much water. That is a sign that uh, we're getting what we call, you know, tissue decay necrosis is what we call it in in my world. And uh, we're uh-huh. getting tissue tissue breakdown out there. So. Uh, we do want to be careful. Overwatering could be a part of it. You haven't been fertilizing, I hope. No, no, no. Good, because no. a lot of these uh, fertilizers, which are salts, will accumulate. But we, when we begin to see that out on the far end or the the margins of the plant, we get uh, concerned. That doesn't mean that the that the plant's going to be. Uh, it's a terminal case necessarily. It just means the plant's <laughs> under a lot of stress. So we want to be. You want to be careful about the watering. Uh, I would say more light. So if you can shift again, shift into the southern windows. Um, sometimes a real intense light in the southern window, we need a sheer curtain over that because they want bright light, but they don't want intense uh, hot light. And oftentimes that's a little easier on a plant. But south windows, east windows, uh, do what you can. Uh, again, I think humidity, particularly if you've got a home without a humidifier of any type, um, you want to be conscious of that and try to get a little bit more humidity. Say you got them in a back bedroom somewhere with a southern exposure. Let's try to get some humidity up in that room so it's a little bit easier on the plants. I would try doing all that. I would be very careful about uh, about your watering. Make sure you got a good drain hole in the bottom. You're getting all that extra yep, water yep, running. Yep. running up. You're doing I'm all doing of that. that good. But I, maybe I'm just going to have to accept the fact that I have to get a new plant next spring. <laughs> you might have to, you know, overwintering so many of these. And I, uh, you know, do you grow any geraniums by chance? Which yeah, is and good... they, they do so well. Oh, they do well for you. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, right. So yeah. that's why I was tempted to try this because I've never had one, a vine, be quite that beautiful. But I think it needs to be outside in the fresh air and sunshine. <laughs> yeah, in many many cases, it's it is difficult to bring bring them in for sure. And if that has a rather thin leaf, uh, so many of our plants that adjust well to the indoor environment have a little thicker leaf, uh, waxy oh, leaf. I right. think of uh, the wax plant. I think of all of our Christmas cactus and so forth. They've all got a little waxier leaf surface. Right, right. But even yeah. the geraniums, you know, that's not a real thin leaf. That's a little thicker leaf. So yeah, no, yeah. they they do so well. Then I have one question about an amaryllis. I've forgotten. Sure. What do I do with it when it's through blooming? Oh, great! I, and you have them right now. Are they blooming at this point? Oh my gosh! Yeah, there's like yeah, ten are, blooms are, on the top. Okay, that's wonderful. Let the blooms go. You're going to have a bloom stock with a nice uh, nice bloom on the top. As soon as those blossoms die down, you can cut that stalk down to the base. You, you've still got these long, what we call strap leaves that are there. Right. Now, you, once again, you're going to find the, the sunniest place in the house. And in most cases, you can do this with just a southern, southern exposure. You want them to really grow during the growing season. So you're going to you're going to come along when we start getting new growth. 
Uh, you're going to add fertility. You're going to add the water that they need. So you're going to use a water-soluble fertilizer. You want them, when there's light available, you want them to really start to grow. Now, at this particular point, we have to get enough green tissue up there so there's extra sugar so we can form the bulb. The bulb will form uh, during the growing season, during the summer months. Then we come in and we grow them well out through uh, the end of September there till we get to the uh, uh, you know, the fall e- equinox at that point when the daylight starts to get just a little bit uh, a little bit shorter. So we're coming into October, and then at that point, you cut off all the water, you let the plant uh, die back, it goes into a dormant period, and we need to be dormant for about uh, probably 30, 40, 50 days there, a couple of months, and then you can add water again, and then the bulb will regenerate, and from that bulb, you'll get new strap leaves as well as uh, the new flower bloom. So it's a question of uh, letting them go now and then giving them as much growth as you possibly can during the summer months. But we do have to go through a period of, uh, of real dormancy there. Sometimes well, if the plant isn't yeah. mature enough, you'll let them grow for two years before you cut them back and, and cut back uh, all the water and, and kick them into a dormant period. So Okay, okay. so now I cut the flower, the stem with the bloom on it, and then, but leave the strap leaves. Leave the strap leaves. That's going to be the factory for you. That's what's going to produce all the sugars. That will produce the bulb. Next year's bloom is going to form in a bulb, in inside the bulb, and it'll be uh, there waiting for you, and it will pop out next year. If you get enough growth during the summer, and then if you go through this dormant period starting in October, once you add water, they come back to life. So typically when you buy an amaryllis bulb they've gone through this they've uh, they've grown them out typically in the field production area uh they get lots of good growth so they get uh, a, a flower bud that forms down in the bulb the bulb is dry at this point all you have to do is add water that's why they make such great christmas gifts add water and you get this beautiful bulb right, that, right, that emerges right. but you've also got to add the leaves the leaves are critical we don't want to cut any of those off we want to protect all those. It's just the flower stalk that we take off once the bloom is done. Okie doke. Okay, thanks, thank you. Bob. Thank yeah, you thanks for the call. Much. 9.51, we'll take another break, Bob. Bob Olin Show continues after this. And we are back. The Bob Olin Show wrapping things up here on a Tuesday. Bob, your tree is still up and will be for the near future. But uh, people can keep theirs up as well as long as they keep them watered. And uh, I guess that's the key, right? That's the key, and I do try to follow a little of my own advice. I try to get a little bit more humidity out there, because. Uh, but I start fresh. We talked yeah. about that. Start fresh, fresh cup, plenty of water. Make sure you get that uh, that tree really hyd- hydrated. Then they will last for a long time, and I really think all this needle drop, they just have a balsam, short needle, and they tend to drop needles under a dry environment. So once again, for your houseplants, we talked a little bit about that. Try to get the humidity up a little bit. At least, and, and you know, one thing that's really kind of nice, and if you didn't uh, get this as a gift, uh, you can buy these inexpensive uh, humidistats, I believe they call them. They're just humidity readers, meters, and uh, they're, they're really kind of very convenient. Oftentimes, you've got both a thermometer and a humidity meter uh, side by side, and take a little look. And if your humidity is down there in the 25% uh, range or lower, uh, let's try to get that up a minimum 30, 30 or 40 and uh, you can do that, and your your tree's going to last a little longer, and your uh, all your house plants are going to be a little happier as well. You know, everybody does it their own way, and I know a lot of people start very early with their trees, and they're all done with Christmas, and they're yeah. 
They're looking forward to the new year, and they're going to move that tree out as quickly as possible. Dave, thanks so much for reminding folks of our recycling oh, yeah. site. So, and I think you'll continue to do that for us so people mm-hmm. get them out uh, where our sanitary district can pick them up. And, again, they're all chopped up. And right. get, get all the tinsel and anything out there because this is going to become their garden green product or one of the components that goes into it when they get them all chipped and ready to go. So they're going to be really recycled and uh, they'll have a, a new life as uh, part of their compost product. Yeah, I guess they kind of use them for uh, trails and what have you, too, just to put down on trails. That's good news. Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of that. So I think that's fantastic as well as markers, huh? Yeah, well, as uh, covering, I guess, for the trails. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say maybe uh, maybe to mark in the deep snow or whatever. Oh, I see. Uh, just the chips that they make out of them, they kind of spread over the trail. Right. They'll spread that as well. And uh I'm putting in Nature Trail, uh, part of the Make-A-Wish Foundation ah. myself, and we've been doing a lot of chipping. So as I think about that, uh, yeah, wood chips and as a mulch, uh, mm-hmm. they're really fantastic. So that might be another option for people that do have, if you happen to have your own chipper, uh, certainly that tree can be chipped. Uh, you don't want a fire hazard if they get dry, so you want to get ah. them outside, that's for sure. But uh, we can just recycle those as well, and it's part of this uh, uh, wonderful uh uh, process of things growing and then ultimately uh, breaking down and becoming a component in the soil as well, Dave. Well, we got a mild period coming up, Bob, and I guess that's good news. we got the snow for insulation anyway, so uh, now it gets mild enough so you can move some of that snow off your sidewalks and driveways. Yeah, this is going to be kind of good. Dry that down, and mm-hmm. I like uh, 30s, lower 30s. That's not going to break dormancy. <laughs> right. I wouldn't want to see 45 right now, but All nonetheless, right. uh, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, the, these kind of temperatures that they're predicting uh, look real good for this week. So All right. we want everyone to be safe, Dave. We want you to be safe over the holidays here. And we got a lot of talk about the new year. There's a lot of new products coming. Uh, we evaluated a lot of vegetables. We're still getting catalogs. We're putting together the recommended lists. So we're looking forward to the new year, but we'll talk about that with you in January. Okay? All right. Well, that'll be next week, actually. So we'll yes, catch you will. next year on Tuesday. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Dave. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.